Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Uh, good evening to you and welcome to Charlton Live. This is the Big Match Preview coming to you live from the Valley. My name is Louis Mendes and joining me here in the studio at the Valley is Mr. Tom Wallin. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, good. It's been, yeah. been a little while. Had a good international breaky-wakey? No, it's so boring. Yeah, even the England-Spain game. Oh, I missed that. I was in the cinema. Forgot oh, it was even happening. There you go. So. Excellent. The Nations League has not <laughs> gripped this studio, unfortunately. Nathan Muller, did it grip you? What's that? The Nations League. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No. To be fair, to be fair, I only watched. The, I watched the first half and then turned it off for the second. So I saw the good bits. Yeah. Well, what was it about the first half performance? Oh, I've had enough of this. Oh, I knew. I've had enough I knew of this going it up as well. Yeah, I knew we'd never keep let it keep going. But um, yeah, no, it was alright. Excellent. But, well, glad to have you both back. Um, yeah, on, t- on tonight's channel live. Uh, it has been a busy couple of weeks while we've been away. Uh, the uh, the trust, the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust, finally had their sit down meeting with uh, the EFL. Sean Harvey, the CEO of the English Football League. So we're going to hear from Steve Clark, he's the vice chair of the Supporters Trust, to find out exactly what happened in that meeting. They discussed obviously the state of the club, the situation with Roland Duchatelet, uh, Duchatelet's personal meeting uh, with the EFL. Uh, we're going to hear all about that from Steve Clark momentarily later on. Of course, while there was an international break at the same time we did play on the Tuesday and it just so happened to be the greatest game in Charlton history. Uh, we're going to look back at the 8-0 win uh, in the Checker Trade Trophy against Stevenage. We're going to hear the highlights, the uh, the excellent highlights from Nathan there. Uh, and we're Casual gonna, ones. Yeah, we're also going to hear from the hat-trick hero, Toby Stevenson, on his debut, banging a hat-trick. Uh, it don't get much better than that, so we're going to hear from him uh, as well. Of course, we're going to then look ahead to uh, Saturday's home game with Barnsley, uh, a difficult test as the Tykes come down to the Valley uh, this weekend, so we're going to hear uh, from Leon Wobshaw from the Yorkshire Post who's going to let us know how the types have been getting on and then, of course we're going to hear from the Charlton boss Lee Bowyer as well uh, so plenty to get your teeth stuck into uh, this evening on Charlton Live on the big match preview first things first and so as we know um, there's been all sorts of chaos at the club over the last few years uh, and uh, the EFL have finally decided to see if they can help out in any way um, they've uh, they had a sit down meeting with Ronan Duchatelet in Brussels last week uh, and also this week yesterday in fact uh, on Wednesday they spoke to the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust now Steve Clark is the vice chair of the Supporters Trust he was one of the people present in that meeting and I asked him how he thought the uh, the meeting went and what actually what was said during it I mean the first thing to mention probably is that the fact there was a meeting at all is progress because about six months ago I don't think the EFL were meeting any fans and we probably are a debt to Blackpool who probably have opened the way up for us but um, we were pleased to be able to have a meeting and um, we'd arranged it with John Nagel who is their head of um, uh, policy and also Mark Rowan their communications man but um, we were a little bit surprised that Sean Harvey the CEO also joined us um, we've been a bit critical of Sean in the past and some of the things he's done but I have to say he was fully engaged and, and um, you know it was with his input, I thought it was productive. Mm. And what sort of concerns were you raising with, with them then? Okay, well, we had sort of four topics we wanted to raise. Probably the, 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 the two most important were what came out of the meeting that Sean Harvey had had with Roland. And secondly, obviously very closely linked, were specific questions we had about the takeover and, and, and the status of that, because there have been so many stories around rumours and... And, and 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 talk of various potential purchases. We were very keen, obviously, to try to to get them to, to give us as much as possible. And actually, I think they gave us a bit more than we expected. In the in the sense, they did actually mention the Australians as the only organisation that have submitted um, an application under the owners and directors test, which is their sort of effectively their approval. Um. So so so, what did they have to say in particular about their meeting with Roland? Um, and the first thing, that, and, and, uh, and Sean Harvey was very 
keen to emphasise that at his own suggestion, he went out to meet Roland in Brussels. Um, I think he wanted to be clear that he wasn't being summoned by Roland. Hmm. Uh, I think he, it was a, you know, he got out of it what I think he probably expected. But I, I don't think we heard anything new, or he heard anything new from Roland, bearing in mind there'd been a, an announcement probably from about three or four weeks ago about the various concerns that Roland had about the way the press was treating him and about protesting fans and, and, and all that stuff. So I don't, think, I don't think there was anything new came out. What the EFL are doing, um, which I, I, I guess sort of, you know, probably does make sense as long as they do it properly, is they're, they're doing a sort of review. I mean, the, the word investigation was used a couple of times, but they were being a bit careful about that. But I think they're looking at the situation at Charlton. There's a definite difference between where potentially any club uh, could be breaching their rules, in which case they then have clear sanction they can take against the club. And then on the other side of things, which is probably where we fall, um, where the behaviour of the owner is completely unacceptable, but measuring it against their criteria, it's quite difficult to find things that he's actually done that breaches the rules. And and I'm encouraged that the EFL at least are now recognising that sort of... um, that second category. So they do appreciate that, you know, that an owner's behaviour isn't necessarily... I mean, if, if an owner was fraudulent, then that would be something they could deal with. But an owner just doing stupid things is something they don't currently have a sort of category for. So, um, but I, I sense they're now looking into that. They want them, they've spoken to, to Roland. The big thing to come out of it following that is that they've got his agreement, and as the owner, I guess they needed it, to be able to interview members of staff at the club. And this obviously is especially relevant to the concerns about bonuses that have not been paid, which the staff are obviously expecting to receive. Is that, is that one of the things that the Trust raised then about the bonuses? And did you think that there's something now that the EFL will, will be able to do to try and help the staff in terms of getting those bonuses if after interviewing them they, they feel that they will be entitled to them? Well, I imagine, yes. I mean, I think there's a, there's a few steps to that. Certainly, what we wanted to do was two things. Make sure that, that the subject of the bonuses was something that the EFL covered, but also that they did, and, and, and to be honest, Sean Harvey got slightly sort of concerned or slightly upset that I was even suggesting otherwise, but, but that, that they will talk to a proper spectrum of staff. They're not just, I mean, we know that one or two people at the club are very pro-Roland, um, and if all the EFL did and was talk, go and talk to them, then clearly... They're not going to get any information beyond what they've currently got. They need to I mean, ideally talk to every member of staff, I suspect. That's probably too onerous under the circumstances, but certainly to speak to a selection of them. If having done so, it then becomes apparent that these bonuses you know, should be paid, then I would imagine the, you know, I'm like, I don't know, the, well, I, can't, I can't confirm it, but I'd imagine the ESL would then be in a position to, to, to tell Roland he should do so. We will obviously, because payment to staff is one of the things that the FLR, or sorry, failure to pay your staff is, is one of the things that the FLR are able to deal with under their new rules. And we will, so as the trust, the follow-up with the EFL will obviously be finding out what we said about that, but, but, but checking with them what they've, um, exactly what they found and, and, and an understanding of it, because the club are saying, as I understand it, that these bonuses were discretionary or however you want to describe it, but don't need to be paid. And obviously the individuals who were sitting there thinking they were going to get their bonuses are, are um, you know, feeling that they should have been paid and, 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 and want to know why they haven't got them. So um, hopefully the EFL will be able to throw light on that. Mm. Now back, of, of course, on, on the subject of the takeover, and you mentioned that it was brought up and the Australians were mentioned. There was, there was a, some, some, a, well, uh, some comments from... Uh, Sean Harvey in the Evening Standard this afternoon saying that Duchatelet had said, and similar to what he had put in the uh, in a statement a couple of weeks ago, that he felt the miscommunications and the protests were not assisting uh, the sale of the club. And then uh, Sean Harvey went on to mention, as you say, about the paperwork issue with the Australians. I mean, first of all, what is the trust reaction to the fact that Duchatelet feels that the sale of the club is being harmed by the miscommunications, as he puts it, and the protests of the supporters? Did the trust feel that that, that could well be the case or not? I think I think that's nonsense. Um, the 
I think our view would be, is that, that, that what we're doing is demonstrating a passion for the club, which if someone comes in and behaves even half reasonably, we'll, we'll get fully behind them and, and that passion can be transferred into not only getting pumps on seats again, but also a number of people working, you know, giving their own time, as, we, as we've all done over the years, to, to help the club develop and to help the, the club you know, get, get back to, get the crowd back to where we want. And obviously, alongside that, hopefully, means that things on the pitch get better as well. So, I mean, we had this debate. I, I felt that Sean Harvey was probably... Could, could, could see the argument, shall we say, that, that the protests might be um, causing a, a concern for a potential, potential owner... I suppose there is an argument for that, but my view is if, if the owner is somebody who understands football, they will understand the difference between what was happening, what has been happening at Charlton and is continuing under while Roland's still there, that what, that situation, and what would happen under a you know a proper owner who would look after the club properly, you know, and 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 try to develop a relationship with the fans. Mm. Um, and so if you've got somebody coming in who didn't have any feel for English football or didn't have, you know, any, any real concept of it, then in, in, in many ways, they're probably not somebody we want anyway. But, but clearly, you know, we, <laughs> we are keen to get a new owner and there aren't too many queuing up. So mm. we've got to, we can't be too choosy. But I would hope that any new owner would look at what's happening, recognise that these are passionate fans who have always had an affinity with the club, you know, going right back to the 80s, probably before that as well, but had this sort of stronger feeling with the club than a lot of other clubs might do because of all the stuff with going back to the Valley, etc. Um, and therefore, you know, when when things are going well, they'll be right there helping out. But when things are going badly, the fans are going to be you know, about it. And, and could you just sort of confirm what, what Sean Harvey said about the Australians then? So again, obviously... I believe it's something to do with the, the paperwork issue. So, did he add any more, like shine any more light on that situation? No, he wasn't. He wasn't in a position to say exactly what the paperwork is. I mean, I, I did make a statement about you know, the fact that they can't get the money together, and, and, and you know, that is my personal opinion. I must say that very clearly. That is my personal interpretation of what's happening. I think <clears throat> what I mean. There are a couple of key things in here. Firstly. The Australians are the only organisation to present. They presented a sale and purchase agreement, which which is an agreement between both the club and themselves to make the purchase go ahead. So that is, I sense, is in a sense, good news. They then present what's required under the owners and directors test, um, and that is where I think it probably happens every time they, the, the EFL get one. There are bound to be questions like any submission, you know. Um, the detailed submission you make, there are going to be things they come back and they want clarification or they've got some questions. They've done that. They've not heard any response from the Australians. We highlighted that this seems to take a very long time. It was interesting that, that, that Sean said, actually, well, it is quite a long time, but don't, don't think you're, you know, that's unusual. And, mm. and, he, and he said they've had one, one case with a, with a takeover going considerably longer. We were... I think we're encouraged by the fact that the EFL are still considering it to be live, so the case is still open, they're still hoping to receive the responses, though obviously as time goes on you do get a bit more sceptical. Um, and the other point, key point, which I think is, is important, is that Roland has said, stated to Sean when they met that he would honour the deal that's been done with the Australians, and, and the key point and that is obviously is the price. Mm. Now, to be honest, I'm, my knowledge of this is not detailed enough to be sure. I, I'm, I'm assuming that the sale and purchase agreement is binding. In, in, if at some stage later the deal is to be done, there's still a sign-off that takes place, and therefore, um, you know, I get. I guess there's still an opportunity for either side to to, to change their mind um, on price. So the fact that he's committed to that price, I think, is encouraging. I mean, again, personal view. If he gets away with that price, he's done very well. He's, you know, I think the club is probably overpriced, and that is probably putting off other potential buyers. But you know, if the Australians are able to raise the money and able to answer the EFL's yeah, the EFL's questions, then you know, happy days. It sounds like there's a deal to be done. Excellent. So, just finally, then, I mean, do, do you feel that there's something positive has come out of the meeting? Do, do you think there's progress? Do you think there's a next step that will happen? Yeah. Uh, well, firstly. The fact that there was a meeting is progress, so we, we mustn't lose sight of that. 
I balance that by saying we, you know, it, this is only any good if when the EFL do their investigation, review, whatever it is, they actually go into it in full detail, they look at all sides and at the end they come out and, and identify the real areas of concern because you know, I don't think there's any doubt that there are areas of concern with the way that Roland's been running the club. I think any normal, you know, common sense person would, would recognise that. He is, Roland is one of their owners, so they are slightly going against the, one of their owners if they do that. But that's really the test is if all they're going to do is say, no, everything's fine, don't worry, then we've not really achieved anything, we'll certainly get back to them pretty sharpish with some, some strong counter views, but there's not much more we can do beyond that. I'm hopeful we have moved beyond that, and I think this is progress. It's yet to be proved whether, you know, the real Nicky hasn't hasn't come to yet, but I do think this is progress. And this is the first stage of some sort of you know, regular communication with them and probably be extending beyond Roland's time as well. I, you know, I'd like to think the EFL are now in a position where they're actually looking at the fans as, as stakeholders and, 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 and trying to you know, reflect their views as well. So there we go, that was Steve Clark, the Vice Chair of the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust. Uh, he was present at yesterday's uh, meeting between the EFL and the, and the Supporters Trust discussing the issues here at Charlton. Uh, they also met with Ronald de Chatelet last week. Now, uh, one, of the, one of the issues that still is, is yet to be resolved is the, fact, is the fact that, I mean, EFL have had this meeting with Roland, and other than by telling what, what they got from Roland to the Trust, uh, do you feel like the EFL could probably come out and make a statement about what they said to Roland yeah I saw Rich say that it doesn't sound like that's going to happen but I think they should um, it, you know if they're going to speak to the trust if they're going to have this meeting to me it doesn't serve much of a purpose if they then don't tell us what that meeting covered now there might be some stuff that's uh, you know confidential that they don't want to they don't want to give us but they should give us at least an idea of what's going on because as he said there in in that interview you know in terms of how a, an owner runs his his or her club there's not a lot that they can do and I, and I kind of understand that but at the same time they've called this meeting for a reason it's because they want to understand things more and as fans so do we so for my money if he's going to have that interview with them then then we should at least understand a little bit just key topics you know like when they do the AGMs and stuff here they just give you like bullet points or what what was covered I think something like that should have come out but as I say, it sounds like it's not going to happen. I mean, Nathan. I mean, Steve was obviously pleased that, that the EFL have sat down with the trust, and he does see that as progress now. So it is is you know, it's, some some will say it's four years too late, and it's similar at Blackpool when when they when they finally spoke to, to Blackpool, it was quite late, but it's finally happened. I mean, do you see this as a step forward? I think so. For me, it's it is a step forward. It's not obviously resolved, and nothing's really changed much, but. In terms, you know, we were in terms of the you know the protests outside DFL headquarters and stuff like that. Um, that was probably in the pipeline of them going and meeting him. But at least we can sort of acknowledge that Sean Harvey has gone and met Roland, and whether or not he can say certain things or not, like Tom said. But I think it's a step in the right uh, direction for sure. But I mean, it's it's difficult because, like Tom said. Uh, it, there's only so much they can say because if Roland's asked them, oh, I don't really want you to say anything. They, I'd imagine, they'd have to adhere to his disclosure, and um, but it doesn't help us. But mm. the, the good f- thing for me is, you know, as it was said in the interview, that the price seems to be agreed. It's just the paperwork from the other side, which that's what the rumor has been. Is that whether it's funds or something's missing. Um, so if he's willing to. You know, you know, honour that deal. It's the, the, you know, the ball for the, for me. The ball's in the Australians' uh, consortium's court, isn't mm. it? So, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, there, there's there's still a lot that we don't really know about the Australian consortium. And if, if he's saying he's willing to honour whatever price was agreed before, but if for the Australians, I mean, if the Australians have agreed that price, then obviously the Roland will be expecting that price. But if they've tried to, I mean, no one really knows. People saying, oh, maybe they've had investors pull out because they didn't realise it's going to be that expensive or because they don't think they'll get a return on their investment, or because there's some other reason. No really, really knows, but Roland's saying that. That's only one side of the story, so you mm. never really know why that, that thing hasn't gone from. It's quite clear that the Australians aren't ready to proceed at this point because they've had plenty of time to do so, and they haven't been able to yet. Yeah, I think they, they've got to take some portion of the blame in terms of the takeover not going through. It sounds like, I think I read somewhere that it's a document around proving where the funds are coming from and who's supplying them and, and who's making up the consortium, and... 
as uh, Steve said in that interview there, it's pretty clear to us that they're just not sure where that money's coming from now. And we've talked earlier about rumours about certain investors pulling out and having to pull out. So that seems to be the issue. But I mean, that's just a, a very small part of everything that's gone on. Mm. Roland takes 90% of the blame, if not more, because he's the owner of the club. And whether there's a takeover happening or not, he could be doing better to run this club in, in a better way. And that's that's been the main problem. And that's the problem that the EFL need to address. If the takeover happens, then obviously that's a huge bonus. But whilst we've got Roland, that doesn't mean we should be happy with him running things the way he is at the moment. Yeah, uh, the uh, uh, Roland. So there was these comments in the Evening Standard that um, were sort of uh, were said to have come sort of possibly secondhand from from Sean Harvey talking about the uh, but that the Roland had told Harvey, and we knew this anyway because he put it in his statement on the club a couple on, on the club website a couple of weeks ago that he felt the. Uh, miscommunications and protests were not assisting the sale of the club. I mean, we, we've probably covered this already, but at other times we had uh, Livin, the you know Roland's man at Charlton at the moment, telling us that he's had five interested parties recently. So if if the if the protests are harming the sale of the club, then why are five interested parties trying to sell the club anyway, trying it, to buy the club? Yeah, exactly, and that's the that's the confusing thing. And going back into in terms of if. You know, apparently, if the sale is the price has been agreed and whatnot, it begs the question as to why, if the the price or the value, the way he's valued it and they've agreed it, of all these sort of cuts and so and so forth, why are these happening if they've already agreed a price? Because it wouldn't any cuts he makes now won't affect the price going forward, will it? Mm. And that's the thing that sort of makes me confused. But as you say, if if there's like apparently these five other consortiums or five other people are interested, then I can't really see it affecting. Um, obviously it doesn't affect it's not putting any potential suitors off if there are five but um, yeah it's interesting but I mean it's still it's still very grey isn't it it's, and it's, it's, we're still sort of second guessing as to I mean I mean, yeah because again Roland talking about agreeing the price I mean Simon O'Hara saying are really the Australians how serious are they I know mm. we want Roland to go but the Aussies and their paperwork really how long I mean so the, so the assumption based on what Roland's saying, and don't forget there was this joint statement that said a price had been agreed. Now, for whatever, if for whatever reason that price is now the problem, then why has it been agreed in the first place? I mean, it, it could be the fact that there's that price that the Australians supposedly have agreed to. I mean, that's that's what the statement said. If that's too high, then... I mean, if, if that was a reasonable price, you'd assume that other people would have agreed to it as well. So there's so much confusion over the price. If that has been been a problem then why was it agreed in the first place if that was the case? If I mean, we, we knew there was a story in the South London Press from Richard Corley a couple of, maybe a month, six weeks, two months ago now, uh, about the the fella Keith Harris at Everton who was supposedly mm. trying to scramble around trying to find other people to invest in this thing. So if they'd agreed a price but they didn't have the investors at the time, I mean, it's it's such a complicated situation. Obviously, the NDAs and all that will make it more complicated as well and it is, it is a real difficult mess for Charlton fans to get their head around yeah and I think uh, as fans and having had Roland for as long as we have I don't think we expected it to be any easier than this as I said earlier I think he takes a portion of the blame uh, I mean his asking price for a start is absolute madness um, but we're, we're an attractive club to, to run you know we're London we've got a good youth set up we've got a lovely stadium we're hopefully starting to turn and get back on the up so you'd think there would be lots of investment there. And that's why if the Australians are the front runners, I'm surprised that they haven't been able to stump up the business. And perhaps they are too, because they, as you said, if they wouldn't, they wouldn't have agreed that price if, OK, maybe they didn't have the money, but they must have had people who'd declared an interest for mm. them to even make that offer in the first place. But when the, was it Roland or uh, Louvren came out before and said that there was like four or five parties? Yeah. So th there might or might not be people around. And as I say, you would think, that it's a club that people would want to invest in. So I don't know if it's the asking price. I don't know if it is just that there aren't people who actually want to buy it at the moment. I'm not sure what it is, but I think we all know that we need him out. But as I said before, whilst he's here, we need to at least hold him accountable for the way he's running the club. And I don't think the EFL can necessarily do a huge amount, but at least they've taken the step of talking to him. And, and that's some slight progress, I guess. Pete Howard says an interesting interview there. Uh, with, with Steve Clark, he said a sale uh, on the horizon there maybe, but it uh, it worries me that there will be many investors involved in this deal looking to take out dividends from the club, thus meaning our future transfer policy will be secondary. I, I mean, it, it's not unheard of for for clubs to be owned by um, you know large consortiums. I mean, if you look at Barnsley, our our, uh, 
opponents on Saturday. They were taken over towards the end of last year by a consortium led by, I think, a Chinese fella. But, you know, with plenty of money behind, money men behind them and groups. And it's not unusual. So it doesn't necessarily mean they'll all be looking for a profit straight away from transfer business. They might be looking for a profit by getting to the Premier League, which is where the real money is. Uh, so it's hard to say because, I mean, it, it, it might, at the end of this, I wouldn't be shocked to find out it, it was completely moot point, a moot point with, with, uh, with the Australians because at this rate they're never coming. But if they do come in, we might find out more about what they're actually all, all about. Right? Martin said, sorry, this is a bloody mess. All well and good being happy that the EFL has spoken to the Trust and to Roland, but we're still totally clueless on anything to do with this takeover. What is concerning for me is the fact there isn't any other parties interested judging by Steve's comments. Uh, which would suggest we must be seen uh, as a bit of a poison chalice with the fans, protests, etc. I mean, again, if there is absolutely no reason why no one would, people wouldn't buy this club if it was a price affordable, because anyone could see that the protests are aimed at Roland. They're not aimed at Charlton Athletic Football Club. If someone else, with, I mean, Steve even mentioned that in his thing, and 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 Levin de Turk said it himself apparently there was five different groups there's no way this club will be seen as a poison chalice because of the because of the protest because there's everyone knows that the second Roland's gone then the problem is gone and you start to run the club sensibly no one will come in here thinking I'm planning on running the club like an idiot and then uh, then the fans will annoy me They'll, people will be thinking about buying the club thinking I will, I will be the one that will make these fans happy um the only thing for me that would put them off would surely be the price and not the protests. Oh, exactly. I think if if, if this, if we assume that these five other consortiums is is true, but there's only one, uh, there's only one that's you know who have agreed a price. Then to me, that says well, the other four or five or whatever it is, have looked at the price and laughed at it and said, "No, you're right, mate." Uh, if someone else is willing to pay that price, whatever that valuation is, then that's down to them. But we're not gonna. We're not going to pay that, and the difficulty is, is when you have more people, like Pete said, in terms of the amount of people, in terms of consortium, it does lower, it lowers their risk. But then the own, it then becomes difficult because then you've got so many. It's quite convoluted because you've got so many people having having their say as a stakeholder, and that's when it gets quite tricky. So, and that's that could be one of the reasons for the holdup because you've got to try and find a common ground between six, seven, eight, twenty-five investors. So. Right, come on, let's talk about something more interesting and, and a, a little bit less complicated. What's your thoughts on Brexit, lads? <laughs> no, right, come on, let, let's, 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 let's get back onto the football. I think we're going to pick up this chat again on Sunday evening show when we'll have more time to discuss the interview there with, with Steve Clark and to hear what the, uh, the listeners uh, have made of the whole situation at the moment that, of course, is still ongoing here at the Valley. Now, uh, it's been the international break, but uh, last Tuesday week, or Tuesday last week even, uh, it was the greatest game of all time, uh, statistically. Charlton travelled to Stevenage in the Checker Trade Trophy, one of my favourite competitions. I've always said it's a, it's a real <laughs> important one. Uh, and they handed out the gubbing of a lifetime. Charlton's biggest ever victory, an 8-0 win at Stevenage. Hat-trick from Toby Stevenson on his debut. It really was. It was one of those games that you went into with absolute zero expectations and you'd come away saying that was genuinely one of my favourite nights following the club because it was so funny. Let's have a listen to the highlights of that game. Nathan, uh, your first ever hi- your first ever lead commentate- <laughs> commentating game. And it couldn't have gone much better, really, could it? No, no, exactly. But, I mean, if there's any aspiring commentators out there, do not use this in the slightest <laughs> because it's probably I mean at the beginning you, you sort of tried hard and then as it started getting quite a bit silly we thought do you know what this is just bouncing it let's hear how Nathan described that one On this. Oh, here we go. Yes. Wow. Well, that was out of nowhere. Um, ball down. came back to Mark Marshall and he sort of shinned it with his left foot and it was going way wide and it's come off, ricocheted off a couple of legs of Stevenage and it's fell to Darren Prattley and Prattley's just tucked it away. Picks out Jamie Ward, great ball. Lovely ball. An eagle over to Kaylee through. Lays it back to Toby Stevenson. Yes. And Toby Stevenson on his debut. The youngster has scored to make it Stevenage nil, Cholton 2. A great bit of play. He decides to beat his man. He step over, crosses the ball again. Good header from... Great header. Oh, oh yeah. it is Nicky Jose. What a goal. 
Mark Marshall got his chalk on the boots again, crossed it in. Nick, Igor Vettikaili headed it on, and it, Nicky Ajozi was there to tap home, and Charlton are winning 3 0. We're in paradise. Who said the Czech Trade Trophy was rough? Yeah, well. That's inside. Nicky Lapsley plays a run. Great it's ball. A ball Nicky Great ball, and he plays it into Igor Vettikaili. And it's, yeah, it's a goal for Igor. And it's number four. George Lapsley's picked the pockets of. McComa here, in he, does he have a go? Ooh, oh, he does! Lapsley. That was Lapsley straight through. Base. I thought Eagle Lapsley. Better, okay, uh, I, I think Lapsley got it. That, but I really? think that was Lapsley's all the way through. Well, Maybe <laughs> Maybe gone a little bit too far there. Stoby see on his right foot. What oh, a goal! What a goal! What a goal by Stevenson on his right foot. Oh, and what a game for this young man. Goal. Toby Stevenson has been absolutely incredible from, from kick-off in the first half all the way through to now. Nicky Jose again. He's given a penalty. Give it a Toby. He's got to give it a Toby. Give it a Toby. Go on. He's got a... <laughs> Tobes. All right, give it a Tobes. Pratley, give it a Toby. Toby. Give it to me. Give it to Toby. Even, even <laughs> Jack O'Shea to give it to Toby. He's coming up for it. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Toby. Come on, son. This could be unreal. Davidson, Toby Stevenson on for his hat trick here. His first date. 7 0 to Charlton. <laughs> <laughs> we can't control ourselves here in the uh, If, if, he, <laughs> if he misses it, it's all your fault, you lot. Toby Stevenson to make it 7 for his hat trick on his first appearance for Charlton. And he he's does! Got he's got that yeah. trick! <laughs> he's going over the ball! He's first ever game! Anyway, he's gone through to Nicky Jose. He's fell into Nicky Jose. Is he going to take it on his own or is he going to square it? Oh, he's gone the wrong way, but he's got to the byline, cuts it back to Georgie Lazzi! Yes. He's eight! And it's great. It's great. And it's, <laughs> it's Georgie <laughs> Lapsley. Oh, mate. Oh, if unbelievable. We there, if we were there. So you get... Athletic's biggest <laughs> ever victory. Georgie Lapsley has got two. And... Uh, this is our record <laughs> win now, <isn't> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. Record ever win. And this could be the final kick. And it is... And Charlton, <laughs> winner, winner fixture 8 0. One of my favourite games <laughs> of all time. <laughs> A record that stood since 1953 when we beat Middlesbrough 8-1 here at the Valley. Uh, Charlton win by eight goals to nil, their biggest ever victory. Uh, and as Lewis said in the commentary there, who said that the Checker Trade Trophy is rubbish? Oh, I still do, to be honest. <laughs> but that was fun, wasn't it? I, uh, I was just grateful not to be there and listening on commentary instead because I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> It was so much fun. It was like you were just watching a pub game or something. Maybe you enjoyed so. it. I mean, London Innigeese particularly enjoyed it when we're all shouting, give it to Toby, give it to Toby. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, if um, I think if, I don't think Terry was listening. I think if Terry and Greg and obviously Tom listened to it back, I, I think their ears would bleed because it wasn't the most uh, cutting-edge reporting, to be fair. But I was in the I couldn't actually believe it. Oh, it was great. But the, great. the amount of times we said Toby, I don't know, I sounded like right weirdo. But um, it, was, yeah, it was enjoyable. But before the game... I mean, it was going to be a one-all and, you know, some damp damp affair. But, um, well, yeah, no, it was hilarious. Yeah. We missed quite a few chances fun. at nil nil. It took us nearly yeah. half an hour to open the scoring. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a frustrating evening. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, mean, the, the, I mean, the only, thinking back to it, it was interesting how we lined up because obviously Prattley was playing. Playing centre-back. I mean, Lee Bayer said today yeah. in press, I ain't got the clip, but um, he was saying that he might actually use that as an option going forward it if works. we need to. He, I thought he looked quite good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... It's only yeah, I mean it was Steve, and they didn't really test us. Like Toby wasn't tested, like Bo said, but we weren't really tested enough um, to know for sure. But it's not like you know he's five foot two, even though Solly can do a job there. But I thought he looked really composed on the ball. He's a pre- he's a presence. But whether or not you know, I'd rather do that than 
you know, rush Christian back for mm. sure. But yeah. yeah, no, overall it was a it was a it was a fun day. Yeah, it was certainly a fun day. Uh, for Toby Stevenson, 18 years old, we signed him from Leighton Orient uh, during the summer. Apparently, effectively, they don't really have an under 23 situation at, at Orient, according to um, uh, the, the Charlton website. So we signed him, giving him his chance. He, he's actually more of a central defender. We played, but he can play left as well. So we played him at left wing back and uh, got a hat trick, an amazing uh, debut. And uh, obviously, we wanted to, to catch up with a young man after his performance on his first ever game. Great experience for me. Thank you for like the gaffer and that to put me in there, Jason and that. It's just for me, all them lot. Yeah, it's a really good experience. In your wildest dreams, could you think you'd start off like that? Nah, no, nah, but playing wing back, like just thought, why not get in the box, get a chance if I take it. And obviously, a couple came, hit the bar as well. It was unlucky. <laughs> nah, but it was a really good experience. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, many more to come. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you get a taste for goal scoring, I guess, after this evening. Did you, did you score many goals for the 23s? And no, nah, I don't really score that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's just yeah, a really good experience for me. Yeah. Definitely. Um, obviously, people talk about the checker trade as a as an opportunity for youngsters to get yeah. their go. We saw Lapsley got his his first goal in it last season as well. So, yeah. I mean, this competition is probably quite a good a good way for, for you yeah, to get your first team debut. Definitely a good way for to give the younger players a go like try them out on that definitely yeah yeah. and uh, I mean what were your feelings when that ball fell to you the, fir- the first goal it was a nice finish from closing I don't know just oh, I couldn't even tell you what was going from here when I scored yeah definitely a great experience so. yeah. the, se- the second one obviously it's out nicely for you but you still had a hell of a lot to do is that one of the oh, best yeah. goals you've ever scored yeah I'm left footed as well <laughs> yeah no it was a great goal yeah definitely one and, of my best. And now, obviously, the third one, um, the, the penalty he got given, I think Nicky Ajose won it. And yeah. then I think Nicky Ajose wanted to take it. But yeah. from where we were, we could see nah, Darren Proudly was saying that you were going to take thank, it. Got to thank Nicky, obviously, for giving me the pen. Like to get my hat trick, obviously. Yeah. Definitely took him a lot to give me the ball. And that, but, yeah, no, thanks to him. Wouldn't have, otherwise, wouldn't have this ball. Yeah. And what was going through your mind when, when, the, when that, uh, you were standing there 12 yards from goal with the spot kick? Just score it. But nothing else. I knew I was going to hit it. Just hit it in place, and hopefully it went in, yeah. and it did. Yeah. I mean, obviously there was a lot of senior pros out there that you played with this evening, so it's a good experience for you to to, oh, yeah. to get to rub your shoulders with the, yeah, the likes of them. Like, I think it helps you a lot when you're playing with experienced players, just like talking to you, like helping you positionally, and like off the ball, everything. Just yeah, big help for like any player really. I mean, now you've got now you've got a taste for first team action as well. I mean, it's trying to be a bit lopsided down or a little, little bit short-handed down the left-hand side at the moment. I mean, mm. do, do you think that tonight you might have given yourself, you know, given Lee Bay something to think about for yeah, the first well, team? Oh yeah, definitely. But just got to keep working hard and keep doing what I'm doing. Just keep performing well. Just try my best every time. I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of people always say that Charlton's a good club to come to as a youngster because you know you get your chance. I mean, is that one of the reasons you decided to join? No, not even that. Like, it's just a great club. Like, obviously, it was my chance to come here, and like, obviously, wanted to do well here. Like, wanted to sign that everyone's such a great club. Like, all the people here, all the boys, everything, all the lovely lads. Like, it's a good club to be at, definitely. Yeah, and obviously, it's been a great evening for you personally, but for the club as well. I mean, this is our record yeah. win. It's a record that since uh, stood since yeah. 1953. So you're also part of history. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know really what to say to that, but. <laughs> No, yeah, it's definitely a great experience to be in like that kind of game, like scoring that many goals. I think defensively as well, we're all switched on. Like we, play, we played really well. Like everyone played superb. I thought. Toby Stevenson, that, that was good, didn't it? That was, right. <laughs> that was classic, yeah. absolute classic. Crispy said he's a man of few words. I mean, he's, he's an eighteen-year-old kid. You forget really when, he, when, he, when you speak to him. But uh, yeah, fair play to him. Uh, enjoyed his, his debut and his uh, his hat trick. And I mean, do you? F- I asked Bose about it after the game as well. I mean, does he give him just a little something to think about if we're desperate on the left-hand side at the moment? I and mean, that is literally his first ever game, so we don't really know, no. do we? No, it's not. He's not going to challenge the first team. But what it does do, if we were to get another injury, which I obviously hope we don't, then maybe at least he we've seen him play now, so we know what he's about. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe he would be on a bench occasionally again but um, in terms of a starting place I don't think that's the case but yeah that's no discredit to him at all it's just we we don't want to do it yet he's mm. very very young he obviously had a dream debut um, 
but he's going to take a little while to get up to speed and get used to to that level. But yeah, what a great experience for him. Yeah, Pete tweeted in, just putting my two-year-old to bed and Nathan says the word convoluted, absolutely cracked up and woke her up. <laughs> uh, makes being a Charlton fan uh, in this mess worthwhile. Uh, Nathan saying convoluted. <laughs> yeah. That is a word, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't doubt yourself, mate. Oh, I don't know, especially when Patriots are. <laughs> yeah, right, let's start looking ahead uh, to Saturday's uh, home game here at the Valley with Barnsley now. Uh... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's actually a tough game. I mean, obviously yeah, we're, mm. we're coming off the back of an 8-0 victory, so you're thinking they'll be, <laughs> they'll be, they'll be worried about us. But Barnsley have had a good couple of results themselves recently. They're sat third in the table. Uh, their last away game was a 4-0 win at Peterborough so obviously Peterborough and no mugs as well so that's a spectacular uh, result so um, yeah I wanted to find out a bit more about the Tykes relegated from uh, from the Championship uh, last season so I spoke to Leon Wobshaw from the Yorkshire Post uh, just to find out how, how the Tykes have reacted to that relegation last season in the previous couple of summers there have been a hell of a lot of um, players coming in it's been a bit of a almost like a bit of a revolving door you know in terms of players arriving but Obviously, there was disappointment with with relegation, but since there was a sort of a quiet confidence that once they sort of addressed the, the management issue, that they could keep the players and um, have a strong season, and um, that's, that's been the way it's, um, it's, it's turned out, really. Mm. And we initially were surprised that, that Barnsley went foreign again. They, uh, they obviously brought um, Jose Moraes in, in, uh, in um, late winter, Replaced um, Paul Aguimoth. It didn't really go, go particularly well. It was a bit of a left field selection, and um, I mean, ultimately Barnsley went down, and um, he paid the price. And I think a lot of people were expecting Barnsley to, you know, to go uh, domestic this time. But um, uh, you know, fair play, they didn't. They sort of want to identify a playing style, and obviously identify this high press game and pressing sort of thing that you know Huddersfield Town have been successful with. And they brought Daniel Stendhal in, and you know, not not a lot, a lot of people knew too much about him. But he got to work at the start of July, and um, you know, the players really can quickly tell they're really infused about his training, bought into this style of playing, and um, I said bought into that. And the fact that they they actually kept, you know, nearly all of the players, um, you know, quite a few sort of proved themselves at League One level at different clubs. There's always been like a quiet sort of confidence that they could mm. have a strong season. It's been it's been quite smooth, really. I mean, usually at Barnsley, say in the in summer, you, there's a lot of turnover of players and and it's really hectic. But you know, they managed to. And the only one who's really gone is Tom Bradshaw, and he he, he went for family reasons. Where really his his partner lives uh, in London, and obviously he moved to to Millwall. Um, but everyone else has pretty pretty much stayed. Really, was under contract. The likes of Kiefer Moore and um, Brad Potts. It was interesting in those during the summer, but they managed to keep them, and um, it's gone. It's gone pretty pretty smoothly so far. Really, you've got to say. Yeah, because as you say, I mean, Daniel Stendhal came in. He was a for, former Hanover manager. Not much yeah. experience in England at all, really. So surprising to see how well they've started. Um, you know, the, just, just even looking over the last couple of results, I mean, yeah. that 4 0 win at Peterborough a couple of weeks ago was a spectacular result and a, a good battling win against Luton recently as well. So they, yeah. they seem to be in fine yeah. form at the moment. Yeah, I think um, I think the show, you know, on the day when they're at the best, there's not too many who can who can live with them. 
on the opening day of the season, I mean, sometimes it's easy, you know, easy to get carried away. But they beat they beat Oxford four 0 and um, you know they were absolutely outstanding. And straight away in the first game, understandable, you could you could sort of see an identity and a style. You know, this high pressing, lots of energy, like transition football almost. And uh, the players seem to have been a bit rejuvenated by it, really. Mm. And it's been pretty pretty consistent so far. They've had probably one pretty bad bad display. At Coventry, where you know, there's only league defeat so far, where they were they were pretty poor and, and Stendhal pretty told you know told the players so obviously got high standards and you know I think the I think the encouraging thing is that they're scoring a lot of goals they've got a very healthy you know, goal difference but they're not conceding too many either and um, you know I think you know it, it does all go well I mean on Saturday they had about six players out for one reason or another they had. They had the captain, uh, Adam Davis, was in international duty. A, a key midfielder in Kenny Dougal was with Australia. Top scorer, Kiefer Moore, was, was injured as well. But they managed to sort of cope with that you know, adversity. They brought a couple of other people in. And they still played really well. And, um, you know, everything, you know, is it, it, sort of a bit of a feel-good factor there at the minute. And they certainly come to, um, obviously, a tough game at Charlton, but they'll, They'll certainly go there with uh, with, with confidence. Mm. I mean, what were the expectations at the start of this year? Because obviously, after relegation last year, a lot of fans yeah. expect to, to bounce back up. They've had the the upheaval with the takeover that happened towards yeah. the end of last year as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, without without sort of shouting it from the rooftops, I think there was a quiet determination that you know bouncing straight back up really. And um, like I said, the fact that they didn't sort of spend loads of money on on new players, they were confident in the ability of the players they had if they kept them to sort of, you know, bounce back. And sort of shown um, shown that level of confidence and, you know, it's proved that way so far. They've got they've got players like, you know, Brad Potts has proven himself at this level before and, and George Monk, uh, Keith Moore as well at Rotherham last year. They feel they've got enough um, in their armoury to have a really strong season. I mean, obviously, when you get to January, if they're in a good position... They might, you know, do look at one or two other bits of business, but I think the fact that they were quite confident with what they had in the summer, you know, suggests that they thought they would have quite a strong season, and it's mapped out. It's mapped out pretty well so far. Mm. I mean, how, how do you think that the, they'll approach the game on Saturday? Because sometimes, I guess, if you go away to a team the likes yeah. of Charlton, you, you might try and sort of di- just look a little bit defensive, try and keep it tight. But I mean, talk, talking about that 4-0 win at, at Peterborough yeah. a couple of weeks ago, it sounds like they're not afraid to take the game to, to, to the other bigger clubs. Yeah, they're, sort of, they're, they're, they're quite strong at, um, I mean, they're good at counter-attacking and they can, you know, they can take take the sort of game to to other teams as well. I mean, the interesting one is that, you know, Keith Moore's going to be, um, he's going to be a big doubt and I, you know, I think he'll be pretty much, you know, he'll be struggling for the weekend. So they'll have Adam Davis back, uh, the regular goalkeeper and captain. They've got Dougal back in midfield. There's one or two little selection, um, uh, you know, issues there, I suppose. But I think they'll just be, um, you know, they'll they'll be confident without being too overconfident. I mean, they've gone away to Rochdale, they won four nil. They won two nil at Bradford. They won four nil at Peterborough. Um, they've also, I think, they won three one at uh, at Fleetwood as well. So they've. They've shown they can sort of um, take the game to two home teams, but they're also strong on the counter-attack with the way they play. Mm. So I think I think they'll be you know, reasonably confident. Yeah, and who who would you put down as a danger man? And interesting what you say about Kiefer Moore because I'd, I'd I'd noted him because he'd already got seven goals so far this season. So if he's out, I mean, who will be the the men that Charlton fans want to be looking um, out for? I mean, they are very strong in in midfield bars. I mean. I think you would struggle to get on paper if you look at what they've got in midfield. It's arguably one of the strongest in the division. George Moncur has been playing really well the last last few weeks. He was excellent at, at Peterborough, and uh, he was really good against Luton on Saturday. So he's he's certainly in form. Um, Brad, Brad Potts as well on the um, on, on the right. He's a he's a box to box midfielder with a lot of energy. He scored three goals in the in the last two games. So he he's playing really well. Alex Mowat as well, who was um, he, he he came from from Leeds United, where he you know he'd shown shown some really good form in his early years. Just sort of dimmed a little bit, but he seems to be after a couple of uh, quiet seasons. He's he's sort of showing the form 
you know, that he had in his early days at Leeds. Um, I'll probably say, you know, Potts and, Potts and Moncur are the four players in a minute, but Mowat's having a, a strong season. Cameron, Cameron McGain, who came in um, for Dougal last weekend, he had a really good game as well. So they're, they're sort of blessed with options in midfield. You know, they've got, they've got suppliers and they've got goals there as well. Thank you to Leon Wobshaw there from the, the Yorkshire Post uh, telling us what to expect from Barnsley. Decent team. Eh? We're just talking about that midfield there off air. So one to be reckoned with at this level, isn't it? Yeah. For, I mean, if, I don't know if anyone else watched that game against Luton. Like the first half, they should have been outside. That, I mean, Moncur, he had a quiet second. But they weren't then, so they're rubbish. Nah. <laughs> but yeah, like, like you say, like, and Leon said, in the division, you, it's going to be hard to get a better three than that. Mo, Moat, for me, is a championship player. Brad Potts come from Blackpool, um, so yeah, we're gonna. It's gonna be a difficult game um, on Saturday for sure. But you know, we've got our good players as well. Um, but if we're we're wanting to be be try and be one of the best in the division, you've got to try and beat these teams. Mm, yeah, London Eagles says looking forward to this one and getting back to winning ways. We have the talent and the manager. Hopefully, we get that bit of luck that has deserted us uh, recently. Pete Howard says, I feel the game will be a complex and convoluted state of affairs <laughs> with us winning by three goals to one. Now, of course, we want to hear how Charlton uh, look ahead to the game. Lee Bowyer was, was asked about that on his press day earlier on today. Uh, first of all, asked what he makes of how Barnsley have done so far this season. Yes, they've turned it around the last few weeks. Um, I think they had a bit of a slow start, a bit hit and miss, but uh, yeah, they're a good side. Went away to Peterborough. Scored four. Scored three against Luton um, last weekend. So I've watched them two games. They're good in possession. Very good in possession. Their movement's very good. Their rotation. Um, but they have weaknesses like every team. So we have to be secure under the ball. And, and, and when we win it, we have to we have to use it well. The, 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 the difference is with them, I think, is they're ruthless in front of goal. So when they create a chance, they take it. Um, and that's the difference. But the championship side just come down. I think they only lost one or two of their squad from last season. They've kept the side. So you expect them to be up there. They'd, I've always said from the beginning, they'll be up there. Um so it'll be a good test. I think this will be our, our biggest test so far this season. Players on international duty for the past fortnight. Have they returned unscathed? Yep. Um, they've all come back uninjured, which is good. Josh played two ninety minutes, which is well, I'd rather he didn't, but it is what it is. Um, but the most important thing is that they they've all come back. And this game, so which is good. With all the injury problems you've experienced, were you kind of heart in the mouth for you, wondering, well, I don't need any more. Are they going to come back all right? Do you think about these things constantly? Yeah, especially Christian because he he hadn't obviously played any minutes for us since he's come back from injury, and um, and then he went away. So I was hoping that it get some minutes into him, but that hasn't been the case and. And he's come back and he's still fit, so that's good. Right? Because sometimes when they do that and they go away without getting any football into them, then they can break down again. So uh, the positive thing is he's had a good two weeks of training. and um, So yeah, he's, he's back, but I would rather him got some, some minutes into him because he could have played for us in that checker trade game, you know. But um, we can't control that. But the most important thing is they're all back and looking good. Has the two-week break aided the recovery of long-term injured players? Well, uh, you can say that Patrick and Paige that it's helped them. It's like two weeks gone by and they ain't missed a game. So uh, that's a positive. Um, and then we've got who else has just come back? Somebody else has just come back and we've been able to get some training. Baldy, Baldy's been able to to play in that checker trade game and have like two weeks of training with us. So um, yeah, it, it's benefited us. I think um, in the long run, it, it would have done. Lee Lee Lebo, yeah, they're looking forward to Saturday's home game with uh, with Barnsley. 
Uh, good to hear that all the players who went off on international duty have come back uh, unscathed. It'll be interesting to see how we line up though now with uh, the, the left-back situation, as we know, is one that's been tickling us a little bit. With Lewis Page out, obviously last week we had uh, Solly went over to the left-hand side. Mm. Um, now it sounds like if Billick's ready to come back in, would you put him straight back into the defence with Saar going on the left-hand side? But Charlton Saul saying, I'm not sure... Uh, not sure why uh, why Sarr is the next uh, next choice at left back ahead of Solly. He's a slow centre back. Dick still kept Solly out. Uh, the team last season was excellent in the running. Solly is perfectly comfortable with his left foot and understands a full back role much better than Sarr. Really can't understand the thinking here. I mean, views on that? Are, are we should should we be deploying Sarr there? I mean, because or would you prefer Solly playing on the wrong side? I'd prefer to put Sarr at left back and put Solly back at the right and Billick come straight back in myself um, um, I know that they're going to as we talked about their midfield is very very strong I think we need our best right back in in his rightful place um, ok Saar might not be the quickest player in the world but I think he can equip, uh, equip himself well in that position um, Bradford away last year is a prime example of him doing that job well um, I think actually he's played quite well in all the games he's played in central defence as well so Although we've we've said he still occasionally makes us nervous, I'd like to see that and, and see Billet come back in um, personally, uh, and yeah, just keep the four at the back for now. Um, obviously, with, with Pierce still out, so that that's what I'd like to see. Um, but I don't know whether Boya would prefer to to keep Dick Steele on the right and put Solly left because again, as whoever it was just tweeted, then said Dick Steele has played well as well. So although we've got the injuries it's it's not going to be our perfect back four at least we still have got some options now mm, I mean London Giza send the Barnsley uh, Giza reckons their midfield will boss it do me a favour ours is second uh, to none I mean, we're talking about the quality in their midfield and don't forget we have got the likes of Cullen in there Joe Reba, Ben Reeves has looked good when he's played recently and we're, we're going to go toe to toe with them yeah I think so and <clears throat> I think whoever comes out on top in terms of the midfield mm, will win the game 100%. for me um they are quite you know they're good at the back but I think sometimes not, not in recent weeks we haven't been but we know we can be a good good defensive outfit but I think whoever wins that midfield battle between the likes of Moncur and Potts and Cullen and Rebo that's who will win where where the game will be won for me now obviously you know ignoring the, the checker trade glory I mean we are actually on a run of two defeats in the league the Scunthorpe game and the Coventry game here at the Valley uh, a couple of weeks ago so I mean in terms I mean this is probably the game you don't really want to be playing when you when you or is it one is it this mm. one where you can rise to the occasion yeah I think so and, and when you look back at all the fixtures I think we've won four of our last seven in the league and uh, you know, it's all you take it from stats what you want. But those two defeats, you know, the Scunthorpe one was just a, a mad game, and the Coventry one, there is no way we should have lost that. Like no way at all. That was our naivety that cost us that game. So, you, you know, if they've had two weeks to work on that, which they have, a couple of players back back in fit, there's no reason something like that should happen again. Obviously, we're up against much stronger opposition, but again, we tend to perform well against those oppositions. Um, Okay, we lost these two games, but you think of how we performed against Peterborough and Sunderland. I think again we were unlucky, so you can't be unlucky forever. Um, I think, like uh, London Inigiza said, our midfield is is good. I don't think it's as good as Barnsley, but it is still strong. Um, and we've seen them boss games recently, which is something we haven't seen a chart midfield do for a while. So I don't. Look, it's going to be a very tough game, but I don't think it's out of the question for us to get all three points it'll be interesting to see how Barnsley approach this one when we spoke to Leon there and we heard him that they're, they're not afraid to go and attack teams away from home as we've seen with the Peterborough game they've gone and scored a lot of goals but he also said that they have got it within them to sit back and hit teams on the counter now what we want is for them to try and come out because we're much better when there's space to exploit and when when we've had to had teams sit behind, you know, we saw the Coventry game where we, you know, created some chances but not enough and didn't take enough. So we we prefer a much more open game. You look at the amount of goals we did score at Scunthorpe. If we had tightened up at the back there and got you know three goals away from home, you know, we we want a game that's much more open. But uh, do you think Bar- I mean Barnsley will know that, won't they? Yeah, they will. But I mean, Barnsley also press high and uh, and they did that very well against. Luton, but on the flip side, the second half, Luton went a bit more direct and found the spaces and made a game of it. So, I mean, it's not, you know, Barnsley are a good team. They're not Man City. You know, we're still going to yeah, get Barnes chances. Yeah. yeah. We're still, you know, we're still going to have some chances against them. And I just think, um, I think they'll show us a bit of respect. Of course, we will, because we're not, you know, slouches. But 
we're going to get our chances. I just think, it, and like Tom said, we seem to play better against the, the bigger teams and not so much against the teams, you know, like the Coventries or even Plymouth. We did batter them, but we we just got away with it. So I'm confident, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be a tricky game. It'll be like Bo said, it'll be our trickiest yeah. game. I mean, if you sure. look, if you look at form, like so I think Barnes have won three out of the last four, including the the, the four 0 Peterborough <laughs> and the three two win over Luton. But I mean, you could take form and make it mean mm. whatever you want so mm, for example exactly. Charlton won their last game 8-0 and their last game against Barnsley they won 6-0 so we're mm. bang in form going into Saturday's game right it's going to be a special game uh, at the Valley for one young lad in particular I just want to highlight something nice that, that, that Tracy Lieber did uh, for a, a friend of mine um, an old friend of mine texted me saying that he was uh, at a charity auction recently where a young lad uh, with Down Syndrome won tickets to come to the game against Barnsley and apparently this kid was made up like really happy uh, to to be coming to the valley, and so my mate my mate texts me sometimes. Do you know if there's anyone who could sort out like a signed photo or something? So I I forwarded uh, him on to Tracy and said, oh, Tracy, if you wouldn't mind doing something to make this this day extra special. So so she went out of her way not just to sort out a signed photo, but actually this young lad's going to be a mascot here at the valley on Saturday. So I uh, just want to point out something really nice that the club have done there, and obviously in particular uh, Tracy. Just very quickly, now if we've chosen our Jacko's jackpot, it's not going out to to vote this week. What have mm. we gone for? I fear Charlton to win one nil, two nil, and. Two or two one, and yeah. that's I think it's so it about twelve quid out of two fifty. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so, and yeah. that would go towards the upbeats uh, if we win. Let's have your predictions quickly, chaps. Uh, Tom, two two, two two, a bit of a Desmond. Yeah, uh, we ain't won in our last four at home against Barnes, so I'm going to go one all. One all, excellent yeah. stuff. Right, I won't predict because we've run out of time. This has been Charming Life. In the time I've said this, I could have predicted this, but I haven't. Uh, right, um, thank you for listening to this evening's big match preview. Don't forget, we'll be back here on Sunday evening to look back at whatever happens uh, against uh, Barnsley here at the Valley. We'll have our, our exclusive uh, post-match interview uh, with Lee Bayer as well, of course. Um, Tom and Nathan, thanks for coming in. See you Saturday. I've been Louis Mendes. This has been the big match preview. Thank you for listening and for joining in. We will see you back here on Sunday, hopefully celebrating three points for the Addicts. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.